hopefully this isn't too controversial. I don't think it is, but you never know. Yeah, you know, a new, a new, a new, uh, new Quinn would cringe over that statement. Okay, so obviously it's Easter, so we're going to be talking about the resurrection, and this is basically uh, the purpose for the resurrection. Okay. And if, if, if I do a lot of ums, ums, somebody let me know because I, I actually listened to my last thing, and I like um, um. It's been a great drinking game. I mean, I did it so often. So just um, everybody just start humming. I just do the hum. Maybe I won't do it today because it's kind of tight on time, so maybe I'll just burn through this and not breathe. <clears throat> All right, my, my first thing I want to start out with is, and this may seem um, obvious, but Jesus was Jewish, okay? The way he thought, the way he taught, the way he approached everything, the way he approached God, it was all Middle Eastern, all Hebrew, all Jewish thinking. <coughs> um, so I believe for us to have the best understanding of how to read Scripture and how to understand Scripture and what Jesus was teaching is to do the best we can to try to have that kind of mindset. Okay? Um, there, I did it. Um, cool. Uh, give me a little grace on it. I'm trying. If I say supposedly, I'll get told about that. <laughs> it isn't her world. Anyway, so I, my uh, when I really started... A few years ago, I kind of resolved that I was going to forget everything I was ever taught with, that, with the exception of the core of what Christianity is, and I was going to relearn, so to speak. And this one guy had a book out, and he talked about this, about the way Americans think about Christianity is nothing like how they do it and did it in the Middle East or probably still do it in the Middle East. And being that Jesus was a... Middle Eastern Jewish person, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that that's the approach you should try to take. Um, so I believe for us to have the best understanding of approaching Scripture is to try to obtain the mindset, that kind of mindset, not a North American, 21st century American mindset. And that's where the whole battle comes in about about culture. Does, does Scripture change with culture or, and all that? But we're not going to get into that today. That's for uh, a later one that I'll probably get yelled at. Uh, so, so just because we so happen to be born in this country at this time doesn't change the way that Jesus taught. Our culture will influence how we read things, but it doesn't. The, our influence doesn't necessarily mean that our approach is correct. It may not be wrong, but you know what I mean. Okay. So, a lot of how a lot of how uh, Jesus taught goes against. Um, are what we've been taught, certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's really not a whole lot in the Bible that talks about pursuing happiness because it's not really about, it's at least not our definition of what happiness is. Okay. The one thing the Jews don't, didn't, and don't teach, from my understanding, from my research, is the concept of eternal life being as a disembodied soul. Okay. 
the concept of eternal life as an in disembodied soul. Remember the whole thing I just said. They're not bits and pieces of it. They believed in, in a resurrection. Um, most Jews, but not all Jews, believe in the last days when the Messiah comes to set up his kingdom. Some, if not all people, will be resurrected from death. And in Jesus' day, there was, the Pharisees believed it and the Sadducees believed it. The, the Pharisees and Sadducees were, in layman's terms, they were the two, the two big denominations of Judaism. I mean, that's totally incorrect how I just said that. But if you kind of think in our mindset, like Baptist, Pentecostal, kind of that kind of thing. They didn't, they didn't agree on everything, so they had their own different names. Um, if you if you think about it, I think I'll go ahead and talk about this now. Um, the story of Lazarus, you guys know it. Um, so you know Jesus is off and he says to his to the disciples, um, Lazarus is asleep. And they go, well, cool, he's sick, he needs to sleep. And he goes, no, he's dead. And so they go back, and he's been dead for four days. And Lazarus' sister runs up to him and. She says, no, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus says, Jesus, what, what did Jesus, Jesus say to her? Yeah, he said he's asleep. Okay. Um, I may have left out something. He, 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 tell, he, he says that, that um, you will see your brother again, I think is what it is. And she says, I know, sir, I know I will see him again. And when's she going to see him again? At the resurrection. Okay, so they believed back then that when you died, eventually you bodily resurrected. Okay? And Jesus goes on to say that I am the resurrection and the life. So, obviously, Jesus believed in resurrection, too. So, so why, is it, why is it among most of Christendom, at least this is my, my viewpoint, my opinion, that the resurrection isn't a bigger deal. And I think a lot of it is because the Western mindset is that resurrection basically equals a disembodied eternal life. And, I'm, I'm, and, and don't get the impression I'm against this whole going to heaven thing because I'm not. I may touch on that later, but we're talking about the resurrection, okay? So, I mean, if you talk to at least most of the Christians I talk to, if you ask them what happens after you die, they say, you, you know, you're, you, you go to heaven. And that's basically it. So we, we look at it more from a figurative standpoint, not that the resurrection is a literal event that will happen one day. I know not everybody sees that way, but that's kind of, in my life, the people that Christians I know, that's how they view it. And I think Christmas is fairly easy to grasp because... We all have an understanding of birth. A lot of them, a lot of us, we've all experienced birth because we've all been born. So, I mean, so so the concept of birth isn't that outlandish. You know, we know people who've had kids and, you know, animals and all that. So, and we decorate weeks and ahead and have parties for Christmas and make this big deal about it and everything. So I, I think we understand the concept of Christmas, of a, of a, a child being born and everything. Um Good Friday, I think we can relate to it, too, because it's about death. We've all been affected by death in one way or the other. Um, as From a Christian viewpoint, I think we really understand the whole aspect of needing a Savior to sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. 
Um, Because we all know deep, deep down inside that each and every one of us have done our part to screw this place up. And so, so the concept of needing and you know a savior, I think, is not that, not that far um, out of the realm of our thinking. But I think it's really hard to wrap our minds around the fact that that a dead person coming back from being dead, because we've never seen it. We don't we don't know how it's going to be. So, um, I think we I think. I think a lot of Christians believe that Jesus was resurrected mostly because they know they're supposed to believe it. And it's kind of like one of the prerequisites of being a Christian. Um, so, so does the idea of George Washington resurrecting seem a little far-fetched? I mean, the guy's been dead, what, 250 years or something like that. I mean, there's not a whole lot of him left, if there's anything left. Um but maybe you've seen or heard about someone being resuscitated, but I don't think that is the same thing as resurrected because usually resuscitation happens in a few couple minutes or something. As we're resurrected, actually means dead, 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 as dead as dead can be, and coming back to life. Um, so we've kind of established all that now. So um, let me get a drink before getting to the meat of this. All right, so so the purpose of the resurrection, why Jesus had to be resurrected. And some would say it's because, what time we got? Okay. Um, some would say it's because uh, it's because it proves that he was the Messiah. So the definition of Messiah is, is one who is anticipated as, regarded as, or professes to be a savior or liberator. I don't have this written down, but I'm going to. Um, the Jewish mindset of a Messiah, because Nancy asked me this, you know, occasionally about, I just don't understand why the Jews don't believe in Jesus. Their mentality that I've read and that I've seen is that they, they basically expect a man to come who will gather up an army and will dominate whoever is oppressing them. Okay. It's basically they're looking for a general, a really good general to come in and get an army and wipe out all the enemies. So when Jesus shows up and says, you love your enemies, it kind of like it doesn't go with their thing. I actually have a, a, a thing from a website, Jewish website, and they, there's like four four requirements for the Messiah. And three of them, three of them, they have biblical verses. You've got to back it up in Jeremiah and everything. And they have one that says that he'll be a, a great leader, a, a, a great general or something. And, and like, there's no Bible verse to back it up. It's just what they want. That's what they think the Messiah should be. So when Jesus shows up doing his thing, it's completely different than what they want. Okay, so um, so, so does the resurrection prove that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, yeah, yeah, it, it could that could be one reason, but from who or what was Jesus saving or liberating us? So what the Jews were looking for, for their salvation and their liberation is different than what we have come to know in Christianity, what we're liberated from. The, and the one thing that kind of bothers me about saying that the resurrection is a standard of proof is it, it comes across like it's a one-time event and 
kind of like a miracle that God did. Plus, I I really, I mean, I know there's cases in the Bible that do this, but for the most part, God doesn't usually have to prove anything. Um, we are to accept things on faith, not not so much on proof. And so that's the one thing. And some would say the resurrection proves that we can trust he was the sacrifice for our sins so we can go to heaven. And that may be true, but, but why be resurrected? Because there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled to prove that he is Messiah. And one of them is not being resurrected from the dead. Now, they found that they've come back, they've gone back and read things after all that happened and made their their connection with it. But if you just take the 300 prophecies, there's over 300 of them that he... There was, there was a guy I saw at a conference years ago, and he said... I should have looked this up. And he said that for Jesus to fulfill eight prophecies was like one to the 29th power. I mean, it's like it's astronomical number that it can't happen, let alone 300 of them. So he didn't have to resurrect to prove that because there's plenty of Bible in do that. So, so why did the resurrection have to happen? As one theologian that I like puts it, it's the vindication of creation. And now we're ready for a Bible verses, Chase. The first one is from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I, I don't know if if most of you have ever heard anything like this before. And, and keep in mind, this is straight out of the Bible. I'm not pulling a verse out here and there. This is verses. And it's all about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Where are we starting at? 12? But I tell you this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But if that, but if that can't be true, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Now, see, I read that part right there about if our hope in Christ is only for this life. That's why I worry about people who approach Christianity as a philosophy. Because it's it's so much more than a philosophy. I mean, there's there's lots of philosophies that are good, but and he's kind of and the way I take this is what Paul's talking about. This is about about being resurrected, okay. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So, what do you get from that verse right there? He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Yeah. So basically, well, I'll, I'll keep reading. This goes, what, 26? So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that man being Adam, now the, resurrection, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. 
But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come. When he will turn to the king, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every power and authority, and ruler authority and power, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Um, so there's there's that one in Romans eight. We start at seventeen, right? So I said Chase. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we, share, if, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. So what what is God's curse? Say that again. Death. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too will wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this this hope when we were saved. Paul Paul goes on in a couple couple chapters after this, and it's if you I don't know, I mean, I know I kind of grew up in a traditional I didn't grow up. When I started going to church, it was a traditional kind of church, and they had this thing called Romans Road, which is basically it's certain it's certain verses of, of um, Romans that tell you how to be saved. And one of them is one of them is it's uh, I don't know if I do this verbatim, but if you believe if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So the resurrection is much more than the same kind of a parlor trick or something, you know, it, it's, it's, it is, the belief in the resurrection is actually vital to your salvation. Okay. Are you with me? All right. You're not calling me a heretic or anything, are you? Okay. Okay. So some people may wonder why God would want to save this world. Cause there, there is, there's, uh, I don't know now lately, so when I first started going going to church back in 2000, the overall the overall opinion I got from Christians was that that God was going to basically obliterate everything and start all over. Okay, which doesn't sound like anything we just read, but okay. So, some, but some people may wonder why God would want to want to save this world because it's evil and dark and brutal and it's full of hate. Um. The idea that God is going to obliterate this world and start over is very attractive to some people. God created everything, light, stars, sun, plants, land, oceans, animals, and people. Okay, so think about the the first, you know, in Genesis, and God creates everything. What does he say? After Adam is all done, he says, uh, he says, he says, it's very good. 
Yeah, it's not it's not just good. It's it's very good. You know, I, and I, I kind of have this vision of the Trinity like high five and after it's all done because I mean it's it's very impressive. I mean, I mean I can barely write this down. Okay, so so if God call if if, he, if God says that it's very good, why would God let His creation that He said is very good be conquered by death to just rot away and, and decay? Plus, if God had to obliterate everything and start over, wouldn't that mean that death wins? And and we just read the verse in Romans where it says that the last to be conquered is death. If 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 God has to destroy all this and start over, that means that death actually won. Does that make sense? Does that sound right? You can disagree. Okay. Well, we're getting to that because what is eternal life? No, I mean, I'm sure there's some cleansing. Um, but going back to what you said, flip back up First uh, Corinthians 15. Because this this whole thing in, in and even in even in Romans, I'll dig this back out. Fifteen. It's whatever you had before. His his whole point though in First Corinthians, he's writing to the church of Corinth, he, he's he's telling the he's telling the people there that when they die, they will get they will get bodies. The reason why Christ resurrected was, the, was if it's to prove anything is that that the, the, the body that God created for us does not go away. Yeah. But I think this is the whole time when you, you when you do the hundred percent man, hundred percent God thing, that he was hundred percent man. That he he was dead. If you if you remember in John, and this kind of people kind of read this, but there's the verse in John where after Jesus like slumps over and he's he's assumed to be dead, that the um, the um, the centurion or the Roman guard goes up and takes a spear and, and, and shoves it up his rib cage, and it says out comes blood and water. And the reason why that's important is because other than it's symbolic and stuff, but it's it's important because if you know, I don't know much about medicine, but around your heart is a, some kind of sac called the blah blah blah, but it's full of water. So when they when they do that, it, and blood and water came out, it, it it's basically proof that he was dead. Because there's a lot of versions, there are a lot of theories out there that he actually he just kind of passed out and he woke up three days later and that's all. But the simple fact that it says that when they piercing that blood and water came out it was it's telling it's trying to tell you that he was dead he was as dead as any other human being is dead but going back to you um this whole thing though he if you read this he's he's trying to he's telling them that that the bodies that we have will be resurrected 
And what's the part about uh, there's a part in here about um, after the end, he will turn the kingdom over to God. So Well, could have sworn it says, and after the end, after that, the end will come. He will turn the kingdom over to God, having destroyed every ruler, authority, and power. I knew I should not read other verses. It's just <laughs> anyway, the, the the way that I read it, the way that I take it is, I, I'm 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 not against this whole thing about eternal life. I'm not against the whole thing about when you die, that you go to heaven. I think there's ample there's ample proof in scripture that that's what happens you know paul said it's better to be with christ and he's because he's debating christ is saying and i think it's the philippians talking about he he wants to stay with the philippians but he also wants to go with christ which is much better so there's that my my thing is that that i what i've read and everything is that yes you your soul goes somewhere okay or jews believe jews actually believe that when you die you're dead until the resurrection, there's just nothing. You're just you're dead, biding your time. You can bide your time; you're dead, I guess. But, but, um, but my personal take is: I think that I mean, I love the idea of thinking that my dad's in heaven. Now, I don't, I don't know what that is. I mean, I, I, I definitely don't believe it's you know clouds and toilet paper commercials and stuff like that. But there, there's there's there, there's something though where your soul goes off, and it's in the presence of God. But that's not the end of it all, because Paul talks about you get a body. You get a body. I mean, do we need to read this again? Because he's talking about how you get a body. After you're dead, you will resurrect again in the end, and you will have a body. All right? I mean, you can disagree. I mean. So anyway, um. And back to the other thing about God having to destroy everything, then I, I personally think that if that's the case, then he basically would be admitting that it was a mistake what he did. Did he have to start all over again? Okay. Um, we're down to five minutes. Let's do this. Um, instead of me reading all this, let's just go ahead if you want to, and we have five minutes to discuss this if you would like. I think, no, 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 I didn't. Um, I, I think there's like vague things within the Old Testament that kind of talks about that. There's, there's, a, there's a thing in, in um, I know there's, there's a uh, chapter in Isaiah, I think it's 51, where it talks about, about how creation, when God finally comes to reclaim everything, that creation is joyful and, and the trees will clap and the, the cows will dance and all that kind of thing like that. But I, I kind of, I really kind of think that 
the concept of resurrection is something that evolved somewhere along the way. Because I, I, I don't know of anything that comes right out and, and says that. There's, there's things like when David and Bathsheba had their first baby, you know, there's a lot of wedlock and out of him killing his, her husband and all that. The baby dies, and he says that, that he was consoled because he knew they would meet again. There's those kind of things, but I don't know of anything that says that. I mean, there may be, but I'm a painter. <laughs> but but here, here's my whole gist of the whole thing, though, is that it, it says that Jesus was the first of a great harvest. And there's going to be, Jesus talked about a harvest going out, the, the fields are white, you know, and everything. And, but, and, and it goes on to say in there that, it talks about there being steps that God takes, okay? And the first step is that Jesus resurrects. Jesus died, and, and I don't want to take away, trust me, I don't want to take away from dying for our sins and all that because that is obviously ultimately important, all right? But I just thought because it's Easter and it's about Jesus' resurrection, this is, you know, we're supposed to suffer with Christ, right? We, we kind of all know those verses, but this is going on to tell us that we will actually live with him and reign with him and be with him. There's actually a, a, a verse in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, that says that, it says that when we get our, when, that our, our new, our, our new bodies are, are in, eh, here, I'll just read it, because I'll get it wrong if I don't. And I wasn't going to read this one, but I, but I, I think it's, uh, okay, it's, it's 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we, we live in is taken down, this is when we die, we leave, our, we leave this earthly body. So this, okay. We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put our heavenly bodies like, on like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. So, so even though, so I think right there, Paul is saying that you do kind of go to heaven. But in the end, if you read like Revelation, it talks about how God comes down to earth. The Messiah comes back, sets up his reign, and heaven and earth become one. This is the last thing I can say because it's noon. Um, what you just said about that, um, if you remember, and I think it's in the end of John after he's been resurrected or you know, after he's been crucified and everything, Peter's out in the boat. He's fishing again, and somebody yells from him from the shore, have you got any fish? And Peter knew it was Jesus. 
And so he puts his clothes on. He runs. To, he swims to the shore and everything. And they're kind of talking. And it makes this comment about that they're talking and everything, but nobody asked Jesus who he was because they knew he was the Lord. All right. The implications I get from that is he didn't look like he did before. He still looked like a human, obviously, but he didn't have the, the very same characteristics and everything. So, got one minute. Well, these verses here are talking about believers. It's talking about believers. There's a there's a thing in the song that you guys sing in that one about the, the ocean will give up its dead. Remember that line? So, I mean, my understanding is that what it says in Revelation at the end is that everybody gets resurrected. But the only ones who are guaranteed, you know, eternal life of the body and everything are the believers. This is the last one. Make it quick, Shorman. <laughs> oh, no, don't go there. That's why I didn't use that chapter. <laughs> because there's a whole theology based on that one verse. And we're not going to get into it now. I mean, if you want to talk to me later, I will. So, Okay, uh, it's after 12. Um, let's play, pray real quick. We have food, so hopefully you guys stay. Did they, did they bring the, the entree? Is that here? Okay. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for, for loving us and all you do. And Lord... Um, there's so much about the resurrection that is hard to understand. And um, I know Paul did his best to try to explain it and, and everything. And But I do, the one thing that I do know is that I believe that you did rise again and you conquered death and, and that the sacrifice you made on the cross for, for us was um, to atone for our sins, to bring us, to have a, a connection a relationship with, with the Father. Um, I just thank you, Lord, for um, this group of people who um, who come here and and support this church. I just I'm thankful for for all Christians who who love you and are doing what they can to help further your kingdom upon this earth. Um, 
thank you, Lord, for uh, the food that, that we're about to about to have. Thank you for the people who brought it. I pray that you, you bless it and you bless the time that we have um, communion together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>